0: Welcome, everyone. This is all about Windows for Phones, Inside Podcast 203, recording this on Monday, the 16th of January 2017. Happy New Year to Mr. Rafe Blandford.
1: Thank you, Stephen. Happy New Year to you and to all our listeners as well, of course. Uh, This is the first podcast I've recorded in 2017, though I I know Steve has been busy with uh, his guests. So thank you for doing that, Steve. Um, But quite a a bit to get through. I hope everyone had a kind of good break for those of you that did over the Christmas and the New Year period. And kind of all now set for 2017.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, last week's podcast was the developers of Brimcast, which pe- I thought people might you know, find a tiny bit too niche because it was basically all about one application and the developers behind it. But that got a surprisingly good uh, sort of feedback, as did the two Steve Litchfield episodes rather immodestly <laughs> b- before Christmas. So I think we're on a bit of a roll, Rafe. Let's hope we can continue to produce interesting content this year as well.
1: Yes, I know one of your plans is to kind of do more of those kind of developer-focused and guest-focused podcasts partly in response to Rafe being a little bit unreliable about sometimes turning up for the <laughs> podcast. But I do intend to be here on a, a regular basis, or at least as regular as I can manage. And I suspect uh, I'll be inserting more. So the mobile meanderings from across um, all the platforms as well as the windows specialism that we kind of focus on on this podcast
0: yeah and just a trail next week we're hoping to have the the microsoft uh, developer behind city art search which is it runs ac- across all is a universal windows platform app, of course and lets you search um classical works of art and, and browse them visually on your screen and zoom in all of that fancy stuff for a massive database of uh, pieces of art around the world so that should be really interesting and hopefully that will be next week's podcast which i guess gives rafe another week off
1: before his next appearance <laughs> Yes, well, that's that, That's good. But um, as I, I do promise to be on here regularly. And I know in this podcast, we've got a bit of hardware to talk about, talk about what I've been up to, updates to Windows 10. And I'm sure we'll meander into a few other topics as well, Steve.
0: Yes, let us start first of all with where you've been for the last uh, week or so. I gather you've been over in Las Vegas. I know there weren't any necessarily any Windows 10 mobile new launches there, but you must have seen things like the Alcatel Idol Forest for Windows and presumably a truckload of Windows 10 generic hybrids, tablets, laptops, whatever, all effectively in the same ecosystem.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. I was over at CES, which is the big kind of co- consumer electronics show. It's really where lots of hardware companies come and show off their latest products. You do get some uh, software services as well, but really a focus on those consumer products. And, you know, obviously it originated uh, with things like hi-fives, TVs, and you, you still get the battle of the TVs and obviously computers came in over the years. Uh, between sort of, I would say, 2004 and maybe 2010, it was a big show, uh, for mobile you quite often see devices being announced there but more recently that's kind of gone away i mean honor were talking about the um uh the 6x which i have yeah? here <laughs> yeah and it's a it's a really nice device but even that in one sense you know kind of had been pre-announced yeah um and so it it, it just doesn't have the same cache anymore for mobile devices it wasn't really a surprise not to see uh, any big things. But of course it was the tenth anniversary of the launch of the iPhone. And actually that was the first time I went to CES. And I remember uh, Nokia was announcing I think it was the N79 and as well as the N93i. It was the kind of follow-up to their yeah. transformer device or the last of their transformer devices really, plus the kind of the Razor clamshell lookalike N series. And everyone was talking about those and then Steve Jobs made that famous announcement. And actually most people of course uh poo pooed the iphone and in its first incarnation frankly we're probably right to do so i mean there was some great hardware in there particularly if you think about the capacitive touchscreen and some of the things we've come to take for granted but with no third party apps you know a lot of people barely considered it uh, a smartphone obviously things have changed a lot over the last 10 years and i think some of the executives at CES in 2006 sorry, 2007, probably regret some of the statements they made about the viability of the iPhone and Apple getting into the space. So I remember Nokia executives kind of chortling and saying, well, welcome, but, you know, it's a niche product. They've gone a long way to go. Uh, but it just goes to prove how far how fast things move. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, one of the kind of themes of conversation off the show, you know, among, amongst geeks, were, you know, has Apple lost it a little bit? And, you know, the iPhone 7 obviously proved somewhat controversial and Android has become pretty much dominant in smartphone space you know 80 percent plus market share depending on the way you calculate things Uh, in the states and the uk it's much closer to kind of 50 50 although even even in those two leading iphone markets there's signs that's going away and so there was some sense of you know how much of this is going to be a problem especially when you're at a show like ces where you see so many of the things that orbit around smartphones and this evidence of sort of the wider ecosystem because obviously apple very vertically integrated you know you're in the apple ecosystem but with the likes of you know voice coming in alexa being a big theme at the show I'll maybe talk about that in a minute there was just the, this sense that is the market changing a little bit you know we've talked about it on the podcast before you know everything conversion to a single device
0: there she is and every single podcast I listen to has someone mentioned that and have that exact response <laughs> i'm
1: just gonna go and mute
0: This is where Steve's fades the podcast out and fades it back in when Alexa's been shut off.
1: So there was definitely that discussion around the the wider ecosystem. On the podcast in the past, we've talked about how uh, smartphones were all about convergence and now there's kind of... A broadening of that and you see that at ces with all the iot stuff particularly around smart home and health and fitness where you know the smartphone is still the, the central most important device but it communicates and is a control point for a lot of other things but also the kind of evidence particularly with voice and alexa that this idea that there will be other interfaces and there'll be digital assistants and your phone won't necessarily be the first stop so that's kind of the big Uh, broader thing but yes you you mentioned windows and some interesting devices um kind of in contrast to the last few years you know it almost felt like pcs and laptops were making a bit of a comeback there's certainly a lot of activity around devices that would be running windows 10 and particularly around the creators update so you know dell had its kind of uh, touch surface that it was showing off and various monitors and laptops added hp acer aces and a whole bunch of other vendors I mean, it's it's always difficult to to pick out one thing, but things like the uh, yeah. Dell XPS 13 convertible, that's a that looked like a really nice device, and some of the uh, new new displays that had, you know, connectivity with offer single USB C cable. All of those things, it, it feels like desktop, in one sense, is being tied up, and there's a little bit of innovation going on there, which there hasn't been. Uh, for a long time. And then there were kind of the extreme laptops, including ones with multiple screens, which frankly felt a a bit pointless. But um, Acer in particular was doing some good things around uh, gaming laptops, um, HP's all-in-one solutions, and the kind of particularly NV AO, I think it's 34-inch screen. I think a lot of people would like that sitting on their desktop, and actually all at very uh, competitive prices. Um, And then there were, of course, some mobile-specific things um, the Snapdragon 835 has been announced before, but as far as I'm aware, this is one of the first shows that you can go and see it in person. Um, it's a fairly significant update to the 820. It's it's smaller, it consumes less power, it's more performant. Um, it builds in some new technologies like Bluetooth 5, for example, which has got kind of uh, twice the range and twice the data speed. Um, of so gigabit LTE and multi-gigabit Wi-Fi. So it's kind of the latest and greatest uh, from Qualcomm they were demonstrating that on some kind of uh, prototype devices. And then you also saw some of the VR stuff coming in um, from Microsoft partners, kind of referred to as holographic VR. None of it was actually working yet. It was already in kind of concept or demo headsets based on a reference design that Microsoft is putting together, but it's kind of, Uh, kind of be standalone vr in that you've got a couple of screens behind lenses and then it's hooked up and all running on windows 10 it'll be interesting to see whether that kind of gets any momentum because of course vr always a big thing at these shows um it does feel like it's maturing a lot more of the ecosystem over there there are lots of interesting accessories and innovative ways to control things in vr and one of my favorites was a kind of a pair of shoes that put haptic motors underneath the ball of your foot and on your heel. And that meant it could make you feel like you were walking on different surfaces, whether that was kind of gravel or a concrete floor. <laughs> and it, all those kind of things are always present there. And then there's fingertip controllers and, um, you know, VR headsets that had eye tracking built in. So you can actually make eye contact with people that in VR. And also it can sort of do light field calculations to make it feel more immersive. All those kind of little bits and pieces are always there. And, um, you know, I already mentioned smart home and connected objects, hundreds of them, you know, some of them quite pointless, some of them really interesting. I'd say as a kind of big overreaching theme. It's not just about having the sensors and measuring the data, it's then doing something useful with that. And so there was a connected walking stick, which on one hand you sort of probably be a bit dismissive of, but actually it was all about full detection and kind of an end-to-end service that enabled people to know when, Uh, their elderly relatives or other caregivers could find out when they'd fallen over and that kind of thing struck me as interesting you know big emphasis on both ends of the market some kind of baby tech and then tech for the gray market another example of that with the smart bed and there's lots of that sleep technology around that was a kind of a a big area at ces this year and again the bed would alert a caregiver if it hadn't been slept in and it's a little ideas like that that know kind of appeal and then you had the four thousand pound smart bed from sleep number which you know, did everything from warming your feet when you get in it, which apparently makes you fall asleep quicker. And then it would actually adjust in real time the kind of the firmness of the mattress responding to the position that you were lying in bed. And if you started snoring, it would elevate you and then it would also give you a course of sleep number to <laughs> sleep. everything else. Uh, but then you had the you know, $200 sleep pillow, which did much the same thing, or at least tried to. So you always get those two ends of the spectrum, which I always find interesting. So, you know, those those were you know it's trying to give you a bit of a flavour CS. Yes, it's such a big show it's kind of hard to to get out in, in, in one thing but those connections smart home definitely maturing i guess the sad thing is from a, a windows 10 mobile point of view very few of them are actually promising to support uh, windows out of the box they tend to be Android and iOS only. I do feel that will be a problem for the Windows ecosystem going forward, potentially, particularly on the mobile side of things. Um, and that's not really an issue Microsoft has been able to address. It's almost an inevitable consequence of the side of the ecosystem that we've talked about in the past. And so, you know, it's another reason why you need you know, quite a commitment to go for a, a Windows device as your main device although i did notably see quite a few people using it as a secondary device at the show uh, i suspect a lot of those were were corporate users and inevitably I, I always look out for that so perhaps i noticed them more than than most people did but yeah i mean personal highlights probably from the pc side of things it was the uh the dell canvas which is a bit like a, a surface studio without a pc you know it's a uh, a big uh, horizontal 27-inch touch display that you can do all sorts of controls with and it's kind of matched with the creative updates. That's, I think, uh, really interesting because, again, it's kind of challenging your assumptions of what PC interfaces look like. But if I was going to talk about the big things that kind of were interesting uh, for me is it, it was the preeminence of voice. And it shouldn't be a surprise because Alexa has been a big thing in the last 12 months. But... Um, Amazon had a really successful show, despite not being on the the show floor. um, Everything felt like it had Amazon integrated from Whirlpool appliances to lights from General Electric to, you know, small alarm clocks uh, to sort of the latest connected objects. And then if they didn't have direct kind of integration with the Amazon virtual assistant, they would have an Amazon skill that allowed you to control them. Uh, I don't think Amazon actually is necessarily going to be all dominant here because obviously there's the google and microsoft equivalents and there may well be other players coming along but they've definitely got first mover advantage by being in the market sort of 18 months before anyone else um they're, they're definitely getting more momentum but there were was the odd sign of you know microsoft um getting its partners in there um we saw before christmas um the harman partnership that actually wasn't on display but what you did see was Uh, cortana in bmw's connected car vision and then mattel announced a smart speaker called aristotle particularly aimed at children and sort of being a companion for them as they're growing up and that was based on microsoft voice services and, and the cognitive APIs that Microsoft provides for kind of doing artificial intelligence. Some clever ideas around both being a baby monitor, but then as children grow up, it would become a homework assistant and then an entertainment center and a hub for the smart home. And they say that they're going to integrate uh, Cortana voice services into that as well. So I suspect at the next one of these shows, we'll start to see a lot more Cortana integration because as, as with Amazon, Microsoft has been quite open about it Google is planning to do the same thing, I think it's slightly less far down the road, but of course you can never count them out. And, you know, the Google Assistant is in a lot of smartphones and will be in even more smartphones in the future. Um, and having, you know, had a chance to play with Google Home, I was impressed by that and the integration into Chromecast and being able to display things on the TV. So getting quite close to that vision of being able to talk to your home and have it throw stuff up on the yeah. TV. You know, that, that kind of seamless integration, I think, is really very promising indeed. Uh, the other probably big trends out of ces was a lot of talk about artificial intelligence but much like vr and ar have been in the past it was a bit of a buzzword with people just adding ai onto the end of their product summary you know there's some genuine stuff there there was um, a company called bird eye i think it was who was using deep learning to identify defects in the images it was taking of wind turbines and sort of saving by a factor of eight the time and uh, needed to assess those kind of things. But then there was a company called Calabri who was talking about their connected toothbrush powered by AI. And actually all that meant was it was doing uh, intelligent data analytics on how you were brushing your teeth. And so I'm a bit wary of, of that kind of singing all dancing AI theme, because while it's absolutely there and it's a really big thing for technology in general, I think some of the benefits for consumer products aren't quite quite there yet, or at least it's being misused. Um, you could say the same about VA, VR and AR in the past. I was kind of surprised not to see more augmented reality. Um, obviously, it's been around for a long time, but with things like Magic Beacon, HoloLens, it, it's come to the fore in the last year. That probably wasn't as prominent as I was expecting. There were demos using HoloLens, but... Actually, it's you know that's a technology that's been hyped but still has a little way to go as is kind of probably made evident by the fact that HoloLens is effectively just Microsoft making a prototype available to developers. Uh, a magic leap is so that the early signs are that their first version is going to be a similar prototype or at least not the full vision that they've been expounding upon at, at various conferences. Um, I think if I was going to choose one last thing, it would maybe be, um, I guess, emotion. And what I mean by that is that this sense of personality or cuteness or charm was kind of present in quite a lot of products. And the best example I can give of that is the number of companion robots that were being demoed. And these aimed from, you know, general family ones, ones specifically aimed at children or ones aimed at the, at the gray market. And that was present both in very obvious robots, but also in, in toys in sort of companion gadgets, if you will. Um, But that, Broader trend for for emotion as a way of kind of making people feel almost affection for their gadgets was sort of present elsewhere, and this idea that you might be able to sense and project emotion is something I think is really interesting, and particularly if you think about making. Um, gadgets or these consumer products appeal more to people it becomes quite interesting because of course if you feel affection for something you're probably going to be a bit more forgiving when it makes a mistake (laughs) yeah which in the early days when you're still trying to get artificial intelligence and this personality sort of probably quite a useful thing for companies to go after and of course you end up building a different type of relationship with a company that has that sense of personality and charm and conversation with you and we've kind of seen this in the early days of um chatbots, and some of the things that are being made available um, via Cortana and via Skype, but also Facebook Messenger. And it just strikes me as interesting as someone who spends time working with brands and working out what the future of, sort of technology marketing looks like, this, this sense of a canvas on which you can use emotion in a way to tell stories, which is really what a lot of marketing is about, becomes quite interesting as a, as a new frontier. And I, I don't want to say it's um, absolutely new and unprecedented, but it is more readily available and so, you know, savvy companies will think about what does that mean for our relationship with consumers? So quick run through. So, yes, I'm sure I'll, I'll mention more in, in future podcasts. As ever, it sort of sets me buzzing and thinking about what's coming next. Um, and, you know, the big thing from a mobile point of view is it's so obvious that the smartphone is at the centre center of that space and acts as the control point. But the number of things beginning to orbit around it is, is huge. Um Although there is this sense that it won't just be the smartphone, that will probably be the control point with the screen, but there will be this idea that you can interact via voice, particularly in the home, but also maybe in the car, and this sense that actually there will be agents that act on your behalf. And while that may be you know, interfaced or controlled from the smartphone, a lot of that will presumably live in the cloud. And you can kind of think of Cortana acting as your agent in the future. And you will probably think of it as living in your phone or maybe your smart speaker, but The reality is, of course, that it will interface with all sorts of other things. And, you know, will they be apps or something slightly different? Actually, it's probably going to be a combination of services and APIs. You know, those Amazon skills behave like apps, but in fact, something a little bit different. So that all of that is kind of, if you like, just stating in the back of my brain and I'll, I'll think about what that means and try and bring some of that out in future podcasts
0: okay well there's a few notes i've been making while you've been chatting rafer first of all <laughs> affection for devices have you not seen me with my lumia 10 20 years ago <laughs> <laughs> I, Well,
1: <laughs> maybe i should rephrase that as mass market affection for devices soon, right. I, I, i'm not suggesting that not unusual, but I suspect the uh, amount of love you had for the 1020 was probably more on the extreme end of the spectrum, much as my that for pretty much my entire smartphone collection is on the end of the spectrum.
0: People have been saying I'm on the spectrum for years, Rafe. Uh, different sort of spectrum. <laughs> yeah, likewise. Uh, also, I noticed talking about home um, automation and everything being tied into, for example, uh, Alexa and the Amazon Echo. Uh, what happens is just as, as a newbie, a complete newbie to home automation and the smart home, rave, But what happens when, for example, your internet service provider has an outage and you're without internet for a day or so? Can you just, does all this technology just fall apart because it's got, got no no internet to hook into Amazon's recognition?
1: What happens? Does it all just fall apart? That's, that's a great question. Actually, a lot of it does fall apart because, of course, things like uh, the voice recognition very often is dependent on a, a cloud service of some kind. Um, so in in smart home, there's generally a distinction made between kind of local processing that happens on the device itself or on a smart, smart home hub and things that happens out on the web. And so a lot of things will continue to work even if you've got no internet connection. So for example, if you've got lights that switch on in response to motion sensors, that's something that's quite easy to achieve using local processing. But as soon as you do, start doing a more complex task, and that would include um, voice recognition, uh, that tends to go off to the cloud. But I think one of the things we'll see is more of that will shift to be available locally, at least in a, a fallback, because like you say, you can't always guarantee connectivity or sometimes it's really important to be be quick. So I can absolutely foresee a time when we have got relatively cheap voice recognition chips in everything and actually they all work locally just because it's the kind of more straightforward or elegant way to work. Um, at the moment though, a lot of that more more complex stuff yes if your web connection goes down if your uh, isps you know cuts you off for whatever reason then it it will stop working um you know i've got kind of smart homes stuff set up and at the moment i would say about 20 percent of it will work locally with local processing and will continue to work even if i've got no internet connection but the vast majority of it will fall over and that includes all the things like uh, Alexa and Google Home and I'm sure that will apply to Cortana in the future so it it becomes much more important and it's you know why people sort of talk about um, internet being almost like a public utility and it's as important to have internet access as it is to have running water and electricity and although you can stretch that a little bit I I think it's absolutely true and particularly if you know you're dependent on it for uh, health reasons you know you can have uh, sensors that are monitoring people 24 7 or you know talking about the uh, senior market there you know if you are detecting if someone's uh, not present in the home or has fallen over it's absolutely crucial to have though, that connectivity um, you know working all the time which is why you do see some systems with kind of redundancy built in which will typically use broadband but then have a, a backup in the router of a yeah. sim card from a you know network operator
0: yeah, I know several people in my extended family who don't have any Wi-Fi, for example. They live on mobile data on a PC dongle and on their their, their, smart, their smartphones. There's no concept of Wi-Fi. Therefore, noth- none of this smart home stuff will work mm. at all for them.
1: Yeah, and, and that's not at all unusual. I mean, I do think Wi-Fi you know, becomes pretty much essential for these kind of things. I mean, there are other things. Uh, in the home you know you can a lot of the smart home stuff is based on zy or zigbee or sometimes even bluetooth but actually a lot of it is still wi-fi based and i think that will remain true for the foreseeable future and actually having a decent reliable internet connection is pretty much a a must-have you know also just in terms of things like the latency and it can use up Quite a bit of bandwidth for example if you've got kind of video streaming going on for security reasons you know that's not a small chunk out of your your bandwidth and, you know for people who are on a couple of megabyte connections you know it becomes almost impractical to run some of this stuff and you know, at least we forget you know there are plenty of places even in the uk and uh, kind of the developed markets where broadband availability is either limited or very slow um, both of us are fortunate to be on sort of fibre or, or equivalent connections, uh, but that certainly doesn't apply everywhere, you know. So you're absolutely right to identify that as, a, a, as an issue for adoption.
0: Yeah, well, call me a Luddite, but I like to switch on a light by physically walking
1: over and <laughs> pressing the switch. And uh... Uh, you, you, This is the thing you see, Steve. Um, a lot of people absolutely agree with you, and this is all, all the big thing around agency. But as soon as you have it so that it does it for you, it becomes strange if you then have to switch back to doing it. And the example I'd give you is in public restrooms, a lot of them have automatic taps or automatic soap dispensers now. And actually, you'd probably find it a bit strange if they didn't. And it's the same way with all of these kind of delegated decisions, the things being done on your behalf. You know, Most of the time, you just don't think about it because it just happens. And it's a bit like you know, doors that open automatically when you go into a shop or a shopping centre, things like that. know as soon as it changes back to the origin you suddenly realize actually that's quite inefficient and so i think maybe it's pushing it a little bit to suggest that applies to light switches but you know if you've got a smart home where your lights just come on automatically when you walk into the room it is actually some somewhat jarring if if it stops working and you then have to use the switch manually um but you know uh, hurrah for the luddites because you know they're, they're they're people too Indeed.
0: The other thing I wanted to mention, you mentioned very briefly in passing that you saw the demo where Qualcomm had their Snapdragon 835 and a couple of test smartphones. And they weren't, um, people thought they were leaked Nokia 8 Android smartphones. They turned out just to be Qualcomm test rigs. But the interesting thing is they were showing video stabilization um, purely in terms of processing. And Google showed this in the recent Pixel and Pixel XL on the Snapdragon 821, I believe. And this is presumably an enhancement of that. But this the idea, and this will appeal to many of our listeners who have grown up really with ois on every smartphone from the lumin 920 onwards um, and doing the video stabilization physically uh, by moving the lens around and here are qualcomm, qualcomm quite practically now saying look you don't even need ois you just have a basic sensor we all do everything in the electronics we'll do everything in our, in our firmware in our processing to stabilize it frame by frame so you get crystal clear smooth video with and with no moving lenses needed
1: yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I saw this demo, and obviously, I can't really judge how effective it was because it was kind of just on on display. I suspect, as with a lot of these other software tricks, it won't work quite as well as the hardware to begin with, and certainly the evidence from kind of yeah, Google's Pixel yeah. would would back that up. But we kind of said the same about it for still images a while back, and actually, things have moved on, and it gets better and better over time. So I think one of the general rules about uh, photography, particularly in the digital domain is that as the kind of amount of computational photography or the processing that's thrown at it, that improves quite dramatically over time. And some of the things that were previously having to be done in hardware can be done in software. And obviously it makes it a lot more mainstream because basically every smartphone that has the 835 processor in it and give it a few years and that will go down Qualcomm's kind of family of devices and into mid-tier devices. So that will be something that just becomes standard. And obviously it makes it easier to capture good video from your smartphone, getting rid of that very distinctive kind of camera shake, which people will remember, you know, from early home movies and was largely eliminated by the introduction of video stabilization in a lot of those devices. Um, but the fact that it's available in a smartphone, every now and then you see this stuff and you just have to pinch yourself and remind you that this is all happening in software and, you know, tiny bits of silicon. It really is quite amazing.
0: Well, in a sense, that first Nokia 808 was the the forerunner of all of this because it was doing a magic amount of stuff. One billion pixels being processed every time, every second when you're shooting video. I know that was in a custom ISP. And this is a far more generic system because it's a a chipset that's available to buy off the shelf and for anyone to integrate. But I I think it did all start with the 808 in my mind. And admittedly, I'm biased.
1: Yeah, I I think it was certainly one of the first good mainstream implementations in, in a mobile phone but also that's kind of a good measure of if you think about how many years ago that was that's probably how long it takes to go from being kind of a specialist as you say dedicated uh, bit of uh, silicon and hardware yeah. to achieve that to sort of being effectively just another thing that you add into the system on a chip and you know, we saw this with things like the uh, motion chips that record footsteps um, and other kind of sensor data and we've seen it with uh, things for you know bluetooth and GPS is in the past as well it all gets integrated in and uh, you know in the um 835 you know has more than any, ever before in that system on a chimney and the quick charge is the latest version i already mentioned the new bluetooth lots and lots goes into that and that that pattern is still continuing and i suspect will for a while yet and there's still performance to be eked out of of both the imaging side maybe less so on the processing side and that's why there's a kind of concentration on the uh, power performance improvements this time round. but i suspect there's still a few sensors to go in i mean i this time around kind of new sensors or at least new for me um was there's a, a wearable that allows you to measure the amount of alcohol being kind of released through your skin and therefore a calculation of your blood alcohol level and actually it doesn't just work with alcohol it will work with caffeine or any other uh, chemical that is secreted through your skin and you can imagine that going into your uh, smartwatch or your uh, uh, fitness wearable in a few years time and it just adding another layer of functionality knowing even more data about you Um, you know similarly uv sensors were starting to come in as standalone i mean that was on the microsoft band but i suspect we might see more of that in the future as well so there's always that continuous iterative Move forward of all of these um, technologies and the components that support them, and you know that we say I say that about CES and MWC every time. It's kind of the iterative improvements is kind of the name of the game now, and there's less kind of big standout splashes. Which is why when you do get something big, the 8, to eight being a great example of that, it does take people's breath away. But it's important to remember it's still the the rate of progress is amazing. And, you know, I'd refer you back to the original iPhone 10 years ago. And you think how far that's moved on, how much more sophisticated it is and what it can do. Um, I think someone was telling me there's more processing power in the new Apple Earpods than there was in the original iPhone, which is, you know, kind of a good anecdote <laughs> about how yeah. quickly things move. Um, And, you know, that would be true of any other uh, smartphone. If you think of all the Symbian and Nokia devices back then, you know, they're now being outdone, at least in processing terms, by a Bluetooth headset.
0: Yeah. yeah, you talked about there about uh, the, the rate of progress. It's actually a good marker in the sound because the original iPhone was 2007. And that was also when the development of the Nokia 808 PureView was started by Yuha uh, uh-huh. and his team. And it took five years for them to come to market in the 808 on the then, quote, obsolete Symbian platform. But they did get it to market. And then it was f- it'll be five years almost exactly from then, 2012 through to 2017, which is the year we're now in, amazingly enough. And all of a sudden, digital f- photo- digital processing, computational photography is now mainstream that so many handsets produced this year will have immense... Graphical and photographic processing power to do some amazing things. The Google Pixel is a great example. I i, I really rated it as a, as a camera. It didn't quite match up in some low light circumstances, but it really wasn't far off for a camera which physically should have been miles off the best of the, the, the Microsoft Lumias, and yet it's come a long, long way. I've been playing with the very latest Android Google camera on my Nexus 6P here, and, and again, I'm just blown away by the how sophisticated a result it gets from such fairly underwhelming hardware and I think this is going to just roll out across all manufacturers with this 835 chip or certainly all the flagships through 2017 they'll all be taking incredible photographs and they may not all have OAS they may not have all the tricks that we're used to in the, the Lumia range
1: and yet they'll be taking great photos yeah and I, I think that's particularly important because it it means that we, we talk about edge cases when you talk about camera phones and it means that the camera is much more forgiving so more people will be able to take more great shots and for kind of the camera aficionados perhaps it makes a a less of a difference because you already know how to get those great shots but for family members who are picking up these devices they've suddenly got an incredibly capable device in their hands and so you know we've talked about the death of the standalone camera and obviously it's not going away altogether but for most people the smartphone absolutely will take better pictures than they ever got out of their kind of happy snap cameras or their kind of point and shoot digitals and you know that's amazing i mean that I, I look at that and see all the things it can do and you know the introduction of, and it's not ju- just the, the hardware and the software, but the whole part of that taking pictures on your phone and it's the live photos and it's sort of pioneered by binoculars now being adopted by pretty much everyone else. The fact that they can be automatically um, uploaded to the cloud, you know, back in the early days of Symbian, we had shows that were doing that, but now a you know, bit on your Apple iCloud or on OneDrive or on Google Photos, and the ability for that to be automatically classified and you know it's not just the location data which we've had for a long time but Google photos will now recognize what's in the photo and apply kind of uh, tags appropriately you can then search all across them just the ability to have that you know, the back pan your pocket it, it amazes me and it, it it's great and i can't wait to see what happens next because of course it's continuing to evolve
0: Uh, We must move on, Rafe. We're already over half an hour, and we've covered one of 5 in in the show notes. But uh, Windows 10 Mobile, the fast string, has last been updated. Just before Christmas, well, say, early December, Microsoft left us with a rather buggy and unstable fast string insiders build for Redstone 2, for all those people brave enough to try it. And they have really tested people's patience because it wasn't a particularly stable build. Happily, there is a new one out, 15007, and that indeed followed a bit of a hiccup, which you can read the story and the links on, on on. AWP, but the 15007 is a, is a good one, as far as I can tell. It's running very well on my Lumia 950 XL. Main improvements there are to do with text scaling and zoom, especially when. Uh, uh, web browsing, the apps for websites is, is also should be now working. That was a uh, link through in the latest version of the AAWP, a uh, universal application, where if someone uh, c- clicked on a link that's on all about Windows Phone, it would actually launch the application to handle that story, which is an, a nice touch. That should now be working, certainly for insiders. New Bluetooth APIs, including GAT server. I don't know how much you know about GAT servers, <laughs> right? but it, it means that you c- should be able to get uh, notifications on things like Fitbits from Windows 10 mobile devices in the upcoming months. Uh, you can also uh, reset applications, which is an interesting one. So previously, Rafe, if you had uh, an application uh, like the AWP app and it was misbehaving, you thought oh, I, I'm going to have to uninstall it and reinstall it. Now you can literally just click on reset and wipe all the, the user data and the cookies and any temporary files from that app's cache. And then you effectively start it with the app all over, all over again and it saves a whole um, uninstall and then reinstall, which also presumably saves Microsoft's bandwidth and your own bandwidth. There's also Cortana loves music. You can now control <laughs> more on voice. You can now use Cortana to control music playback on more of your favourite apps. And iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio were quoted. I'm sure there are others. And that's probably a topic for a future future feature on the site. Um, loads and loads of stuff to do with reminders, web payments, um, improve legibility for universal windows platform apps in high contrast there's, there's a load of stuff in this build do, do, do go and look at the story 15007 is the one you want to be on um, i have recommended most people who are serious about using this as their primary smartphone go back to the slow ring and i have done that on my 950 and certainly my elite x3 on production build but i always like to keep at least one flagship on, on the latest fast ring insiders and this one does look more stable than the one that microsoft left us
1: stewing over christmas with yeah, I, I took your advice and actually went back to kind of the stable, the stable version. So I haven't installed this, but one thing did catch my eye, kind of in the change notes, and that's uh, support for web payments. And this is the idea that you can use kind of mobile payments in the browser. Um, Apple Pay and Android Pay obviously already support that, um, but this is coming into Microsoft Edge. It's kind of um, almost a preview of this. And it's using the new uh, payment request API, which is kind of a standardized way of doing payments in the browser. Uh, obviously, the number of people that can use this are pretty limited because I think uh, Microsoft Wallet and, and mobile payment support is US only at the moment, and even then, it's only on a few bank banks. But it's great to see that Microsoft is continuing to do these kind of updates. It's the kind of thing that um, does become a big deal. I suspect the uh, kind of the emphasis on this is perhaps not that great for. Retailers to support it, they're going to go after Apple and Android users first. But as I understand, if they implement support for the payment request API, which is what Android Pay is uh, also based around, that you will also get support for Microsoft Wallet as well. Um, so that's good to see. And then there there are lots of kind of small improvements. You identified some of them with Cortana, but it is interesting to see Microsoft continuing to push both the voice elements of that, but also kind of the assistance elements of that. And so it is becoming uh, more and more capable. And then there are the usual bug fixes, which you won't go through, but if people want to read about them, they're in the story on the site.
0: Of course, one common question, Rafe, and people are making this point all the time, is why are Microsoft still bothering with Windows 10 Mobile? But I still maintain it's part of the global Windows 10 ecosystem. And given that Windows 10 on ARM is now very much a thing and coming uh, over the horizon, if you like, that the fact they already have Windows 10 on ARM in Windows 10 Mobile means that they've got to keep updating it and keeping the, the, the cellular and the connectivity stacks and all the applications compiled for the ARM chipsets up to date, patched, fully sorted out, so that they're mature when they need them to hook them into the quote desktop on arm.
1: Does that make sense? It, it does make sense. I mean, and yes, for Microsoft, you know, kind of their strategy is to have running you know, Windows running across all of these devices, and so they kind of, as you say, they kind of have to keep doing mobile. Um, I, I think it's fair to say, you know, their ambitions have been drawn back. And we've talked about this this before, um, but the whole point of the kind of the reinvigorate strategy on on Windows was that they were able to support mobile without the same level of effort as was required before. Um, and as you say, with the ARM news and that coming in, you know, a lot of the kind of lower level efforts around all of the internals of Windows, you know, that support is required there. And so a lot of the time what we're talking about is actually making sure they continue to support it from a uh, interface point of view. Now I think it is more complex than that. Um, but if they're going to have you know, laptops running ARM, they are going to need, um, you know, the kind of core part of Windows and obviously the emulator layer for x86 as well. Um, But, you know, while the focus has been on that x86 emulation, actually, of course, you know, all of the kind of internal, the core part of Windows needs to run on ARM as well. And as you say, uh, Windows 10 Mobile is kind of a great resource for that. And if they can, you know, continue to keep that development pace going, that, that makes an awful lot of sense to me. And there is a benefit for those who want to use Windows 10 mobile devices. Yeah.
0: And on that very subject, I've just popped a link in the show notes, Rafe, if you can click on that. The story was on the site on January the 10th, about a week ago. And my title was The Differences Between Mobile and Desktop for Windows 10. And I was surprised. I was doing some research, Rafe, into just how much of uh, Windows 10 code is common between the Windows 10 mobile and Windows 10 desktop and Far more, far more was common than than different. And if you look at that chart, hopefully I've d- represented that pictorially, and it shows just how close the two the two builds are.
1: Yeah, and that's absolutely right. I mean, it's something that's developed over the years. And Microsoft tried to talk about Windows as one platform in the past, but it was a bit disingenuous, really, because it really was two separate uh, you know, technology stacks. But increasingly, you now, and Microsoft labeled it one core in the universal app platform. And all the things that sit within those, uh, as you say, common between both. And then if you look at what's just on Windows 10 mobile, it's the kind of the mobile shell and the start stuff, which is kind of the UI I was talking about, and then some legacy stuff for the older applications, and then uh, telephony stuff. And obviously that telephony stuff is actually going to be applicable to some of these other devices as well, yeah. particularly when they've got you know SIM cards inside them. If you look at it on the other side, the Windows 10 desktop stuff, it's again the Explorer shell, the UI. And then the x86 uh, Win32 APIs, um, and that's the bit that's kind of been converted over to ARM. And so this point about a single technology set is interesting. So in one sense, that answers the question you keep being asked, you know, why? (laughs) That's
0: why I wrote the article.
1: (laughs) You know, bothering with Windows 10 Mobile, and I think you explain it really clearly in this article um, but it it is an interesting one because I think Microsoft are going to continue to be asked this because clearly the uh, shipment numbers for Windows 10 mobile devices are going down. You know they haven't announced new Lumia devices in a while. You know the flagships are clearly uh, quite dated, and people are also asking us, you know, why are you continuing with uh, kind of all about Windows phone or all about Windows for phones? I think the simple answer to that is there's still a population who's interested in it as is kind of. Uh, demonstrated by the number of people that listen to this podcast and continue to read the site, but there, there is a question about you know how long does that go on and that 's probably an interesting debate to you know, ponder in another podcast, Steve.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I did another article. Sorry to pepper the show notes with article links, <laughs> Rafe, but I did another article on exactly how many people are using Windows 10 Mobile now. And I was looking at the number of people who would, might have upgraded from um, previous Windows Phone 8.1 devices, people on the Insider builds, and of course, Windows 10 Mobile native. And I came to a figure... Uh, from many back-of-envelope calculations of 7 million worldwide which is is just less than one percent of the entire smartphone uh, user base across the world so just less than one percent which kind of ties into your gut feel perhaps on recent uh, sales figures over the last two three four years as uh, microsoft are gradually sort of pulling back from the consumer market so seven million i think i think that's a big enough uh, number to (laughs) still write a site for Rafe
1: yeah i mean i think that's uh, a not unreasonable number you know depending on how you factor different things in you can get either to more or to less but you know judging by the level of activity and the kind of number of devices i see around you know, i think that's that's quite reasonable um and yeah as you say you know, that's a, still a pretty big population for writing a website about but you know i think i i get asked you know is windows phone still a thing? I go, well. Yes, it is. But um, for us, there's obviously also a, a niche interest in uh, yeah. continuing the site. And um, as you have started seeing some of the content on the site, and particularly on the podcast, we actually talk about mobile in a, a much broader sense. Yeah. And we've sort of started bringing in Windows topics more generally as well. And I'm, I'm sure that will continue in 2017. As I suspect that 7 million number is probably going to, uh, shrink a little bit more in the next twelve months or so because people will be coming to the end of uh, kind of replacement life cycles on phones. And I know if I'm completely honest, I don't use a uh, a Windows device as my primary device. That's partly related to work and being needing to keep up with both iOS and Android. But it's certainly still uh, got my personal SIM in it, and so I'm still using a, a Windows device. Um, much of the time it's just that i have easy access to other devices and i suspect quite a few people listening to this podcast as well have multiple devices (laughs) go and and i know you're the same steve
0: yeah well in actual fact in that seven million there is another fudge factor which i didn't allow for which is what about people who have more than one windows (laughs) 10 mobile device and and given that i've got about eight of them here i just hope that there aren't too many other people doing that otherwise my number's hopelessly wrong but yeah from that seven million maybe come down to five million to allow for people who are real enthusiasts and do have two devices on the OS, but uh,
1: anyway. The, the other point you make in that article, though, is that you know you can't just consider that uh, mobile ecosystem in isolation because it is part of the wider yeah. Windows 10 ecosystem. And I think that's important. And as I say, I think that's something we'll probably be covering more of in the future. Uh, but we'd love to hear from people, you know, their views on this and kind of where they see the future of Windows from a, a mobile point of view. I mean, it, it would be, I think, much dependent on the kind of long- promised or long rumored surface phone what happens in that dimension but you know there have been a couple of uh, manufacturers saying that they're going to continue to support uh, windows 10 mobile and we've seen a couple of uh, efforts in the last few months probably some of them not particularly impressive um hp i think being a, a hallmark or something that's actually they've made a great stride with their device and actually especially some of the software updates they've brought uh, added uh, stability to it but actually that's probably quite a good opportunity to talk about the last thing in our show notes which maybe we should sort of trail for a future podcast because i know you need to spend a little bit more time using it steve but uh you've had a chance to have a have a look at the hp elite x3 uh, laptop i believe
0: yes and now we had a look at this back last i think it was may or june last year this was the early first prototype um we've now got the full retail laptop in um it's taken three more months than hp said it would but let's let's give cut them some slack here this is a totally new market category really and just that there are numerous laptop dock like devices in kickstarters around the world But this is the only one that's really come to production in a big way and it's actually worth using i mean this is a full 1080p screen it's sort of a r- rubberized uh, metal and plastic build really solid it's got the usual shock protection that uh, that hp applies to all its devices and it works really well i don't know whether you caught my twitter feed this afternoon Rafe, but maybe people can check me out twitter.com slash steve litchfield this, this afternoon i was i was i thought right that's it i'm going to use the lap dock and the elite x3 and nothing but this for two hours i was stuck waiting somewhere in the car so i really was at the mobile road warrior trying to live the lifestyle and i got on really well it, once you you for example i'll give you an example Ray. so i've got the hp elite x3 it's plugged in via a cable to the lap dock. and i open up the lap dock and I, I think, oh, look, i have a need to look at a website so i go in i click on the um the e uh the The edge icon, and up comes the web browser with all my mobile tabs. I think oh, that's clever, it's remembered them from the phone. I think, no, no no, I've got to erase that concept from my mind. It is the phone. I am using the web browser on the phone. These are the tabs I had open. I, I still have on the phone. I, I even now I'm getting my tongue, my my words twisted because the concept is so alien to what we normally think of how a phone and a desktop or a laptop should work together. But the the laptop literally is the phone. It's the phone's processor, the phone's applications, the phone's RAM, and just being, projecting it onto a secondary display. And it's such a revolutionary concept. I, I put up three three photos showing d- different applications running on the phone and on the laptop screen, the laptop screen, trying to show that this was just literally a secondary display it's like having a on your desktop getting your laptop open then plugging in a cable and having a secondary monitor off to one side it's still you're still using the one computer but you've got more screen real estate and in this case you've got full keyboard as well
1: yeah it's, it's interesting because this actually kind of plays back into what i was saying at the beginning of the show when talking through some of the cs themes. this idea of the smartphone and things orbiting around it and we've kind of long had this idea that you could use external screens and you know you able to have back with the n95 plugging it into a tv via the uh composite cable yeah Uh, and and this is kind of you know the natural evolution of that and i think it's very notable that continuum has improved since we first saw it and even little things like you know the the resuming of applications or the better use of the uh kind of start bar on the bigger device and as you say we've got more apps now that support it and taking advantage of that screen real estate it it, it's really difficult because you show this to people and talk to people about it and they tend to be fairly negative. But I think once you've tried it out and in the right context, in the right scenario, it makes a lot of sense. I think the thing is for Microsoft, the shame the shame of it is almost that those number of scenarios in its current form are a little bit limited. And you're sort of going, if I'm carrying around something like the laptop, would I not carry around a full Windows 10 PC? And at the moment, it probably would make sense to do that. But once some of the kind of cracks are smoothed away once it becomes a really seamless experience then it's a, a much harder distinction to make and i just feel like it may be you know a few years or maybe even just a single year ahead of you know, yeah. it being ideal yeah. it, it's tricky because and certainly some of the comments you've made to me about uh, kind of the laptop and continuum in general kind of kind of play into that it's we said it before about continuum, it's kind of the vision of a different type of computing is really interesting. But I think so many of the people talking about and commenting on it, particularly in the media, but also more generally, are so fixed and married to a traditional model of computing that it's quite difficult for them to sort of divorce themselves and looking at it purely from a, a rational point of view and be completely unbiased. Even if you do manage to do that, I think you probably can make a, a good argument that at the moment the experience isn't quite there and actually... To say having a separate machine altogether probably makes a bit more sense especially as actually a lot of the phones now are getting better at you know connecting or integrating with you know a, a traditional laptop in some way you know the wi-fi hotspot being the most obvious example but the ability to do handover on something like mac or you know on android you've got the ability to you know have uh, text messages visible from the desktop and you know whatsapp has its web version of whatsapp so you can get into that easy and there's those kind of things that blur those lines but this idea that your phone and your laptop or portable screen should work more closely together is definitely a coming thing. And I think Continuum is one very good vision of that, even if it's perhaps. Now, is it, is it fair to say that it's not quite meeting the expectations we had for it when we first heard about it?
0: I think that's fair. There are still cases where it doesn't really, when you open the laptop up and you try and resume where you were in Continuum, it still doesn't quite shake. The the applications still don't show that they're running and and they still doesn't save your desktop state. I've been ranting about this since the beginning. It seems like an obvious first step to me that you when a user leaves continuum with um, three different applications shown on the screen uh, or at least an icon form or, or a full screen on, on the display. When you open it back up again or connect back up, it should show the exact same state. It doesn't. It shows the empty Windows 10 desktop. And then you've got to click on the icons to get the apps back. And it's just, an, I can't see why they haven't sorted this.
1: And that's what I mean by those kind of little frustrations. Um, but at the same time, kind of, and it'll be interesting to get your view on this, if you actually use laptop, which is, you quite rightly say, is kind of one of the higher end versions of this. Now, I understand you've had a few uh, lockups and glitches early on, which is pr- perhaps to be expected. And I suspect the reason it's taken us a while to get our hands on the laptop is, uh, you know, HP have been continuing to work on it. But having sort of, you know, g- given the critical review, um, is there any comment you've got about the hardware itself and then maybe sort of a more yeah. positive view of can you see the potential at least
0: absolutely and that the hardware is beautiful um, and it's absolutely fabulously built up with one exception and that is the trackpad and i don't know whether you remember rafe the prototype trackpad it felt a bit spongy and a bit limp yeah. and we thought they said with a prototype it's bound to be fixed for the retail units it's not the trackpad feels like a, a trackpad from a an 80 pound ultra bulk budget laptop and that that's not really good but that is it's the one weak point the keyboard is fabulous to use it's a really great typing experience the the display is gorgeous it's high resolution the speakers are amazing i was watching some videos on it this afternoon as part of my road warrior test and they were really i was so loud i was actually afraid that people was in the car park would stop and look at why this rock music was blaring out of this it's scenic but uh, so the speakers are really good there's an awful lot there's that, that is going right and it reminds me of something it's an old nursery rhyme about a little girl and when she was good she was very very good and when she was bad she was horrid and it's, it's very <laughs> much like that when the, the HP laptop and Continuum and the Elite X3 or whatever you happen to plug into it is working well it is brilliant it's futuristic you think this is amazing this is so cool and this is the way of the future and then something stupid happens for example you, you yank the cable out of the X3 or whatever you whichever phone you've plugged it into and you reconnect it it should just resume it doesn't It the, the phone reboot that the laptop reboots and it's a complete disaster so there are clearly some firmware instabilities now you can update the firmware of the laptop just very easily it's in the um the hp device hub application on the x3 and it just just it checks the firmware updates it over the air and and flashes it onto the the dock so in theory all that can be fixed now i agree that's possibly why it's been delayed they're still working on the firmware so when it's working it's really really good rafe they just have a bit of work to do. And I can see absolutely why it has taken so long. And I think it may still take another couple of months. And of course, as we may return to perhaps in the next podcast when you're on, I think the price does have to come down. If they're going to reach the likes of the Joe Blog's AAWP listener and reader enthusiast who really, really wants to try a laptop but can but cannot afford to pay £550 for it, this needs to be down to 350 maximum and ho- hopefully under 300 And then, even then, people might have to think twice about considering it.
1: Yeah, that's right, because I think the, the big point for all the Continuum solutions is they don't exist in isolation. You know, you can get a, a standalone laptop, and actually quite a powerful one for that kind of price. And so the promise of Continuum, I think, is quite obvious. And as you say, you see it as a vision of what computing might become, or at least, you know, it, it's certainly got a potential to be something really interesting. And you know, it's been around for as long as I can remember in mobile, this idea that you could plug your, you know, smartphone into a bigger screen and then take advantage of that kind of additional hardware functionality and there was a company called redfly that made a companion device then motorola with its atrix devices and you know it feels unfortunately like actually Continuum still suffers from the some of the problems they had where they were underpowered wasn't quite capable of driving everything and that's you know the kind of this idea that it can't quite get resume right makes me wonder whether there's performance issues or, or or something like that and we're kind of idly speculating here but at the same time you know I, I do like the idea I do think it's interesting um you know, Microsoft in the past has kind of talked about being able to do this with a, a standard PC and that does work. Although, again, that's a little bit flaky. But that's also interesting to me. And so it does marry into this idea of kind of mobile being the, the kind of the hub device or predominant. And then it's starting to control other things. And that that makes a lot of sense to me. But I suspect it's just that case of maybe being a little bit early um, and at the moment, you know, all the brains are sitting inside a smartphone, it doesn't mean it couldn't be something else in the future. Um, and so I guess it is interesting to talk about these concepts, but we also need to be realistic about uh, are they going to go mass market? frankly at the moment it seems unlikely Um, but we're also talking about you know a windows platform that isn't exactly mass market either and so hopefully this is going to generate interest and just to be clear um steve it's probably worth saying for all the listeners that um, you've had a quick look at it you've done a gallery but you're actually going to be doing um, a more in-depth kind of review of the laptop in due course
0: Absolutely. I think this will need two or three parts in terms of using it and uh, looking at the hardware in detail, all the things it can power and can be powered from and new things you can plug into the various ports. And then there's a a software experience. There's the integration with non-HB hardware. There's an awful lot of material I can get out of this, Rave. Don't don't you worry for uh, the front page of AWP.
1: Okay, so I think that's probably a good point to draw the podcast to a We didn't quite get to all of the points, but um, I guess that leaves room for some topics on the next podcast because we're now I think, going over the hour mark. We managed to do an extra long podcast in, in the new year, which is most funny. Once Steve and I get going, there, there's no stopping us. But I hope, <laughs> you, hope you've enjoyed listening. And uh, a big thank you as ever for Steve for uh, keeping me on the straight and narrow. Yes, and I just wanted to
0: trail the fact that if the site looks a tiny bit slow over the next couple of weeks, apart from some personal matters, which I won't go into, there's also, I'm doing a big podcatcher roundup for the Windows 10 Mobile. So you may remember my huge roundup for the Windows Phone 8.1. I'm now doing the same thing for 10 Mobile and that may take a while to put together. i am also got all this laptop stuff, which I may opt for a kind of a diary-like review blog. I haven't quite decided how I'm going to proceed, but all of that's yet to come. Do watch the site for details and I shall just say goodbye Thank you very much for listening. You can catch us next week when hopefully we'll have a special guest on the All About Windows Phone Insight podcast.